Welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. Art is central to my life. Living with art is fundamental to understanding who I am in context to the world. I've been surrounded by artists my entire life. Their journey has been my own. I've lived through their struggles to find a space where creation can be given uninterrupted time to evolve. Their quest to translate and blend physical worlds with emotional landscapes and to experience the pure joy of witnessing their ability to thread magic into our lives. Artists simultaneously hold multiple realities in balance. Dreams and daily drudgery collide. Creatively interpreting our emotional response to the world is the singular defining characteristic of being human. No one embodies this journey more than Alex Nichols. Alex and I met on a cold Vermont spring day when we were both 14, and every day since I've witnessed in awe as she works with explosive vision and unparalleled focus to express her artistic voice. Alex mastered line by spending thousands of hours life drawing and studying Chinese calligraphy for seven years. In the British Museum reading room, Alex would practice by copying from original Leonardo da Vinci drawings. Alex pursued the same rigor with painting, photography, video, poetry, and writing. I've never met anyone as talented in individual or multiple media, which is lucky because Alex has a lot to express. Alex's art is focused on translating the world inside her, the world around her, and the world between us all. Being Alex's husband means that I know how compelling and challenging this process can be. I start by asking Alex to share her first memories of drawing as a child. I used to love drawing trains and ships and airplanes, little bombers. And I would just lie down on the floor in my bedroom near the window. So I love sun patches. So I was always lying down in a sun patch where the sunlight would drift in and I would be on the floor and I would create these drawings. And it was just a world for me where I could be very peaceful. Did you feel like you were in another world? I felt like I was in another world when I was drawing. Everything around me had sort of two types of reality. And often my family had a huge issue with me because my sense of reality didn't really match up with their sense of reality. But for example, the drapes in my room, they just had these blue vines, but I was sure that there was also little houses and little elves. And I remember seeing those drapes 20 years later and being like, where did the houses and the elves go? And I remember just falling asleep and watching the drapes and watching the lives of the elves and um, going in and out of their houses on these little vines. And it was truly a surprise to me when I realized that it was just a drape with vines. So there was a way in which the world around me took on a huge amount of life. Describing the elves and the trees and the houses and the vines feels like a kind of magical realism where you got to imagine the world around you and create it through art. 
the reality was super magical. I really truly believed I was Spider-Man and I actually could climb walls in ways that were almost Spider-Man-esque. So there's a way in which our minds can really convince us of something and I could jump off of very high bridges and I definitely used to hang on door jams and wait for my dad to arrive home and then drop on him because I thought that was the most exciting surprise he could possibly have. And inside my mind was super magical and it really spread out all around me. The things that I imagined that were both beautiful also... I imagine just as much the terrible, scary things that we're capable of as humans. And I think growing up in an alcoholic family, I saw the way in which a person could be one thing in the day and another thing in the night. And there was this sense that I really believe in humans and the possibility of humans. And I will look at every person that I meet and really think about what they can really create or make of themselves simultaneously in my mind, there's a quiet sense of what we are also capable of, which is those really dark sides. It's where genocide comes from. It's where sociopaths and psychopaths also occur. It's the way in which humans are capable of anything. And that means the most magical things. And I lived in that magical world. And I also lived in that other world. The magical world was a place for me to escape the reality that was really difficult for me to face, whether that be arguments between my parents or certain things that I was seeing that were really hard to understand how they fit into our reality. So I was raised Irish Catholic, and there was a way in which I believed that I was guilty and that I was a sinner from a very early age. And I remember hanging crosses all around my room. And I woke up one day and the crosses had all fallen upside down. As a child at age seven, when I saw all the crosses hanging upside down, I thought, wow, the devil has come into my room and he's come to possess me and I have done something terrible. And then I began to deal with an issue which I have dealt with my whole life, which is, is something what it seems And so I was praying to God and I thought, maybe the devil is pretending to be God. And so when I say, dear God, it's actually, I'm praying to the devil. And I remember trying to get around this by saying, dear, you know who I'm talking to, not the bad one, but the good one. And there was this issue I had with this idea that the words we were using in language weren't really representing the actual things that they were. And there was something slippery that I wasn't sure that what had been presented as reality was really reality. As you grew up and the world around you changed, you stayed very connected to that creative process. Yeah, for me, the creative process is a lifeline. So there's this way in which people say, you are not what you do. But for me, art and me are the same thing. I think I used art to decipher the world around me, to express who I was, to understand and filter the things that I couldn't understand. It's a type of translation. There's a way in which the world is functioning And it was clear that the way I functioned wasn't translatable to the world around me. And there was a way in which I needed to understand how I fit into the world. 
And so I often use art in its multiple mediums to understand who I am. So it might start with something like the project Heteronyms, where I'm drawing self-portraits every day in multiple facets. And I'm trying to understand if I'm the same person every day. And I'm trying to understand what it means to be a mother, a wife, an artist, and a woman. And I'm trying to understand how I fit into society. And so the project will look like it's drawings or it will look like these sort of three-dimensional sculptures that I make out of drawing. But really what I'm beginning to realize is that it was just a deep, deep study of what it means to be self. And I work in three forms or three modes. One is solo artist, one is collaborative artist, and one is collective artist. And I think it's because we have to understand ourselves in relation to ourselves. We have to understand ourselves in relation to other. And we see that in relationships or friendships. And then we need to understand ourselves in the collective, which is the society. And so I think I needed to understand who this idea of I or me or self is in relation to this bigger perspective, which is me in relation to somebody else, me in relation to the society that I grew up in. And each of my works always comes from a very specific question. Who am I? Maybe it might appear as a performance or it might appear as a painting or a drawing or an installation. But behind all of it is definitely a question about what it means to be me and what it means to exist in this world. Tell us about kind of your journey into actually seeing and how art in those early years helped you see the world around you with a precision and a clarity that really only an artist looks at the world through. Every skill inside art takes enormous time. There is no way to get around. If you really want to learn how to draw a figure, and hone a singular line so that it really captures the space and energy of that movement. You have to study it days, years. It's like an athlete. There's no way an athlete can become great at what they do without the enormous amount of training and practice. So I took that really seriously. And the reason I studied Chinese calligraphy for seven years was that I realized that there were a range of one to 40 lines inside a square that we could make up 40,000 characters. And I thought, if I was looking at abstract painting and wanted to really understand line, then why not go back to a place where line had been studied so thoroughly, like Chinese calligraphy. And I remember thinking at first, how do I create through ink on rice paper and a tiny, tiny movement of my wrist and pressure of a brush, the sense of a falling rock or the sense of a snake moving through grass? And so I studied that for seven years and my teachers would always know if I had practiced two hours a day or not. And one of the things you do is help teach people to draw and see the world. 
I love teaching young children because there's something really exciting about the way. There's a way in which a line from a really young child of age four will just be a full expression of themselves. It'll be an entirely uncontrolled line, but a full expression of themselves. And there's this difficult place that we run into, which is that we get more and more self-conscious as we get older. And there's a way in which that self-consciousness doesn't just embody itself in a line, but embodies itself in the way that we live our lives. There's a way in which we become more fearful of expressing ourselves. And so teaching somebody to make a line is both trying to help them understand that the energy within themselves and how they hit the paper with that energy is part of a force. And then there's this other part, which is it's the balance between control and chaos, which I think is really part of our um, nature. Nature is very much about control and chaos. And that's true of making a line. We need to definitely understand what we're looking at and really if you're drawing something, you're spending more time looking at it and almost touching it with your eye as if it was your finger were kind of gliding down the edge of a leaf. That's how you really look at something. You have to let go of the preconceived notion of what it is, and you don't even need to look at the paper. But I still am, to this day, always trying to throw off myself in order to get to that deeper core. And when you think about how much any of us can actually know ourselves and your exploration. Like, where are you in that process of understanding Alex? I have definitely spent most of my life trying to understand what it means to be me. I started as a twin, and I thought we were always supposed to navigate the world together, that we were always part of half of a whole, or yin and yang. And there was this obsession probably from the very beginning of my life, where I understood that my perspective was simultaneous to somebody else's perspective, that what my twin was seeing was different than what I was seeing. And yet we were living in the exact same room, coming out of the exact same womb. And there was this realization that if we could come from all the same starting points and the world looked so different to both of us, that there was no way to begin to perceive or conceive of the way in which each person in this world experienced their lives. And I think that's really beautiful. I really love to talk to different people and see what they see in the world because it's really exciting. For me, it's really exciting. It's just like, what do you see? What do I see? In order to know somebody else, we have to know ourselves. And Also to know ourselves, we have to understand ourselves in relation to other. And I think this is an infinite exploration and I don't think we can ever truly know ourselves. And that also means that we can never truly know somebody else, but it's a very exciting process and it's a necessary process in terms of communication and connection to our lives, to the world around us, to the people around us. And so I like to try and approach the world with that sense of curiosity and just really honoring the idea that the world is made of those so many perspectives. I feel I'm constantly trying to puzzle together. I'm constantly questioning the stories I'm given and the history I'm given. As you 
think about where we are in 2021, like what what is the role of the artist? I mean, it's changed so much over time from the cave paintings in ancient France to the Renaissance to modern art to today, you know, for you, what is the role in this incredibly fast moving world? What does art help us see or do? I've been thinking a lot about it during COVID times because everybody had to slow down and there's a way in which we're having to really reflect on our lives. But art is about observation. It's about listening to the world around us. It's a combination of perspective that's being expressed, of very close, careful, studied observations. And I think that politicians, the government, they run our world. And they don't have a lot of time to observe. They need to be acting quickly. They need to be making decisions quickly. So I think what it is, is that the artist brings a balance towards that. The artist's role is a translator of what they see and a way of trying to coalesce that observation into a place in which we're going. Here in San Francisco, you've been evicted three times from your studio. I mean, your studio each time has been made way for dot-com and tech workers. And you ended up actually moving your studio into the streets. I remember just walking along the streets thinking, how am I going to continue this photography video project if I don't have a studio? And there were so many warehouses being closed down. There was hundreds of artists being evicted out of these spaces and I remember walking by a porta potty and thinking, wow, if a porta potty can be on the street, then why can't I make a porta studio? And I remember just that day when I built that porta studio and just bringing it out onto the street, there was this realization that we can work anywhere we need to work. And I felt like it was a gift, actually, because I ended up really interacting with a lot of people. I was pulling people off the street with my collaborator named Mushi at that time. And we were asking people to interact and looking at the space and how they interact. And I just loved that experience for me personally, because I had worked alone. I thought that I was really introverted and there was just this excitement of talking to people and hearing their experiences around how they felt inside the box. We were asking the people that stepped into the box to also examine their interaction with each other. And there was this way in which I got a chance to start to really look at the people all around me and ask that question about how do we connect? And I don't think that would have happened in that deep way without having been brought out onto the street. So I think there's a way in which there's just things that happen and you have to adapt to them. And it changed my life. One of the things I love about the Space Between Project, Alex, is um, that it really focuses on, if you think about when you do a drawing or photography or any design, there's the positive space, which we generally think of as like the physical object. And then there's the negative space, which is the space between objects. And you really focused on kind of 
understanding what that negative space looked like as a way of understanding how we relate to each other. I remember when I was first learning to draw, the first thing they say is the negative space allows you to get a much better sense of the volume of the space that's being absorbed by the actual object. And I remember that concept being unbelievably complex. I was like, what? I have to study the negative space? But I remember as I studied the negative space that every drawing became a better drawing. And I started to realize that I, if I look at the space that the objects were inhabiting or the space between the objects, I began to understand the relationships of the objects to each other and that that's what we were really looking at, not the object itself, but its relation to all the objects around us. And we do this without even really paying attention. There's a way in which some cultures speak very closely and stand very closely and some cultures which maintain a certain amount of distance. A writer named Yoko Tawada talked about language and how she would watch people sit at tables and she realized that they were all almost forming their own words. The way in which we interact with people gives us a sense of who we are. Each person in our lives reflects a different thing about ourselves. So each person in our lives is a mirror and we're really made up of all of those mirrors we're not a singular mirror. And so there was this way in which I wanted to understand how I inhabited the space between each of the people that I knew and what was being reflected between each of us. And in a way, I was trying to construct that entire self through all of those reflections. The skills that you need to be successful at creating are very different than the self-promotional skills you need in order to be a successful artist. And it feels like a really a nearly impossible thing that we ask artists to do in order to help push their careers and their work. I started as a dreamer as a child, and there was a way in which I believed that artists just got discovered. In the United States, in America, it's, it's built on this belief that you can just make yourself and that you can be discovered. And I had that belief that if I worked really hard and I developed all the skills I needed to do in terms of how to draw, how to photograph, how to make a video, how to make a film, if I learned everything and learned and observed really carefully and dedicated myself intensely, that somehow, I think I really believed even then at age 26 that this was going to happen. I didn't want to believe that the world that you navigated via government and politics also was actually the world as a whole. And I believed that the artist had to be some sort of pure translator and that we weren't supposed to get into the muck of networking or politics. And I have to say, it took me years to understand that, that there's a way in which the artist has to be able to make the work and has to live in that other part of the world. The creative mind is one that is closest to the place of the daydream. It's where the mind is really relaxed and it starts to piece together things that are really disparate. And it's a way of kind of spreading out your fingers and your mind like a web around everything that you see and that can be the person you walk past on the street to the way in which air is moving or, you know, it will, it will absorb everything. It will absorb the news that is in the newspapers. 
So there's this way in which the artist is absorbing everything, but has to kind of then distill it and put it back out into the world. And it took me a really long time to understand that there was this other job, this other hat that I had to put on, which had to do with sharing the work and that there was a hierarchy of how we needed to share that work and that there was museums that control that. And then there's the galleries and they are trying to get the work from the gallery to the museum. There's finances that manage all of this. So there's a reason why we keep seeing a lot of the same artists moving through the museums. So we get to see a retrospective of Picasso And you will see that throughout the world happening over and over again. There are voices that need to be heard that haven't been heard and haven't had a chance to be on the platform. That's really powerful because there's all of these different voices that just haven't been heard. Nobody talks about the fact that most of the work that we see as the art that's influenced so many centuries is done by white males. And in the way that we have to question the canons of literature and the canons of history, we have to really question the canons of art too. And we have to ask ourselves, who's speaking? Who's allowed to speak? And what are they saying? And right now there's a movement to really hearing other voices. I think it's really shifting actually. Museums are afraid that they are dying. Galleries are afraid that they're dying in the same way that News is now democratized, that we have so many forms of media to read at any given day from anybody, any voice. So that's the exciting part. But somebody's still there trying to control all of this. And there's a way in which we have to deal with that. If you're going to give advice, Alex, to an artist starting out, it seems like it's a really difficult journey that you are on, that you've been on. It's a, it's a struggle and it's unlike nearly any other role in society. And so what advice would you give to young artists starting? I think the advice I would give to um, any young artist is first that it is going to be a really long, very difficult road. And there's a running joke about how people collect the hundreds of rejections that they receive year after year. And this is true of writers. This is true of artists. This is true probably of many people in the creative field. There will be more rejections than there will be acceptances. And so there's this resilience and this kind of strength that you have to have inside yourself to believe that what you have to say is important. You've got to work really hard to develop your skill and you have to also develop your strength inside yourself. Try and find out every day, what do you feel? What are you trying to say? Did you say it? Did you say it as clearly as you could? Believe in it. Really believe in yourself. Believe in the fact that your voice matters. There's so many ways to make change. And sometimes it will be on a really grand scale. Sometimes it'll be on a really intimate scale. And that it's still really important and still a real change. Even if it seems so small, each voice is really important. I believe that more than anything in the world, that we are all equal. And each of our perspectives on the world 
is equally important and that this world is totally woven together the way that roots of a tree move through and speak to all the other roots of the trees. And there's a way in which nature knows this. Nature knows we are all connected. And there's a way in which humans like to box themselves or box each other into separateness. But I do really believe we're connected. And so not to give up in trying to keep connecting and keep putting that voice out. There's no way that we're going to hear your voice if you don't put it out there. I came up against so many different issues. One is that I didn't know my own voice had worth. And that showed up in the way that I parented in the sense that sometimes I didn't know that something that I was doing was equally important to something that you were doing. And there was a way in which that was a real struggle for me. That idea, I really bought into that idea that there were certain things that were more important than other things. And we used to have that running joke between us around the idea that the urgent will always kill the important. And there was that way in which your life and your work was always important and always urgent. There's a way in which certain jobs have an urgency, a daily urgency that can't be ignored. And yet art doesn't have a daily obvious urgency. And I remember putting down the paintbrush or putting down what I needed to do to make sure that the kids were okay or make sure that I got them to where they needed to go. And I remember just really struggling with that because I thought, does it matter if I put it down for a day or put it down for an hour? And there was a way in which I suddenly realized that I was diminishing my own voice because I didn't fight for it, even inside my family. And that was a really big surprise. I definitely grew up believing that art was my main goal in my life and that I would do anything to make it happen. But I saw the way in which the narrations around us are so deeply embedded in us that we are thinking in ways that we don't even realize we are thinking. And that's so hard to kind of come to terms with. I am making a lot of amends with myself right now because I realized that I was hoping somebody would save me or I was hoping somebody would support me. And what I realized is that we need to support ourselves and we need to be questioning ourselves all the time. You know, what is the work that I need to do to undo this, to get to the bottom of who I really am and how this world is really put together. And I'm always struggling with that. And I saw that I was not empowered, that I did not support myself. And I am, have totally changed in the last few years, but it's been a really long journey of trying to really understand who I am and that I have value. And I can't tell you where I got this idea that I don't have value but it's somewhere at the very beginning of my life. As a child, my parents always used to say earth to Alex. And I remember being so frustrated by that or hurt by that actually, because I was like, what planet do you think I'm on? I'm on the same planet as you, but maybe they're arguing at a table. And I think I don't actually want to be part of this argument. So I look up at a light bulb and I start imagining myself as a superhero, of course, and there's a way in which there's multiple realities that are occurring. Which I guess brings us back to 
you know, the, the worlds that you create and really the magic that, that art represents for you. The thing that's really magical is like we go into, um, like movies are a perfect example. They create complete worlds for us and they make us think about the world we're in. The way in which we choose to perceive the world can become our reality. And I want to make sure that there's still a way that there's magic in life. In fact, life needs magic. Life needs that sense of possibility. And I feel like art gives us that sense. It gives us the sense and freedom to dream. It gives us this idea, like it, it allows us to see things we can't imagine. It allows us to see things that are in front of us in new ways. There's a way in which we might notice a color more clearly because somebody's painted it. And then we have a greater appreciation of that color or we have this way of listening to sound in a new way because somebody has really spent hours just bringing out that one singular sound. And it reminds me of how when I wake up every morning, before I open my eyes, I try and listen to hear the birds. And it seems so simple, but I love the way in which a bird just arrives in the day. It always chirps at a certain time, a certain way in which the light arrives in the day. And it reminds me that it's about what I'm going to focus on in a day that's going to give me the sense of my life. Mostly, I just want to experience life. I want to live it. I want to feel it. And I feel like art allows me to touch life in these really, really intricate, sensitive ways. So... I just can't imagine life without art. I can't, I mean, the reality is that if I don't make art for even a couple of days, I start to feel really chaotic because it is the way in which I center myself to experience the world. Alex, thank you so much for sharing how you see the world with Podshapath today. Your curiosity and the unparalleled energy you commit to exploring the emotional core of humanity profoundly shapes our collective sense of self. Without art, our lives would be flat. With you, the contours of life are continuously being navigated, translated, and shared. Great art transcends the everyday by showing us who we are and who we can aspire to be. Art is one of the most important tools we have for healing the planet. Alex, thank you for staying true to that pursuit, no matter how difficult the journey. And thank each of you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey. From the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spate, executive producer David Kahn, and from me, Jerry Blumenfeld, please support the artists in your life. Mm-hmm.